Ryan and Fairfax execs Chris Jans and David Eisman are launching their new subscription platform, Sire. Insights from News Corp's decoded event on Monday and indie creative agency Bullfrog nabs two Saatchi and Saatchi senior staff. Finally, a snapshot of this year's Adobe Summit out in Las Vegas. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Callum Jaspin, and joining me for the news chat today is editorial director Damien Francis. Hey, Damo. Carlton, how are you going, mate? Never Even better cold. with that. Um, a, a podcast debut for the new Mumbrella event content cre- curator, I should say, Diana DiCecco. Hey, DDC. Welcome. Hey, how are you? I'm great. It's uh, it's strange seeing you now in the uh, the Mumbrella office as uh, as part of the team. I know I'm on this side of the mic for once. <laughs> nice, I like it. And uh, finally, in her final week as editor of Mumbrella, Olivia Crimmel. It's a sad send off for you, Liv. Uh, hello for the final time on the podcast. Thank you, Callum. Yes. As is always the case with Mumbrella, it, uh, it, it feels like just as we get someone in, we have someone heading out. So, um, you know, silver linings, but live as we said, you'll be, you'll be now, By the way, that stops right now. All of you <laughs> are on long-term fixed contracts. I've had the lawyers look over this. Don't look well, at me like that, Kalila. I'm, um, I'm not coming back, Damo. I, I, I hate to break it to you. Um, There's a reason why we sent you to Vegas, Cal. Read between the lines. Well, yeah, for, for, for listeners that, that don't know, as, as I presume you, you would have no reason to know, unless you're a listener of um, the Evening Mumbo, I am, uh, I am uh, broadcasting from the Venetian in Las Vegas, where we've got the, uh, the Adobe Summit happening. Sounds um, awful, by the way, you poor thing. It's awful. I lost $40 at the blackjack table last night. Um, was that, was that US or Australian? It was US, unfortunately. So it's a, I won't say you what that is. You better not put an expense claim for that. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're going to hear a little bit more about the, the, the summit this year a little bit later. And we've got a few um, interesting people for you to hear from as well. And of course, Dinah, we mentioned there that you've joined as Mumbrella's event content curator, your your part-time. It would be, I think, okay for us to say modestly or humbly at this moment that um, this is a great hire for Mumbrella. Dinah, can you just start by, I guess, taking us through a little bit of your career credentials to date? So I've spent a lot of my time in automotive um, early days. Um, certainly did a lot in in retail um, through the good guys. You know, started my working life at McDonald's. To be completely honest with you, and um, I've found my way into um, a number of organisations where I've had some amazing opportunities. So I've worked with with startups. I've worked with medium sized enterprise and large organisations. And I suppose the the thing that I think I'm blessed about is you learn you learn what to do and what not to do at every organisation you're at. And um, with with that program, I suppose, um, found myself in a few CMO roles and having completed a Master of Digital Law sort of whet my appetite for jurisprudence in a way that um, I thought I was over. Um, but yeah, what I've decided to do is take on a law degree, um, doing a Juris Doctor at the University of Canberra whilst I come and work with you guys. 
That's not well, an invitation, Cal, to get into more legal trouble, by the way. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's a different set of laws over here in America, so, you know. <laughs> you are bound by theirs. <laughs> there. Well, I, I think I speak on behalf of the whole team in saying a massive welcome. And for those of you heading down to the retail summit tomorrow, um, go, and, go and bug DDC if you see her there. And uh, Please do. <laughs> Starting things off on Monday, Mumbrella reported that former Nine and Fairfax executives Chris Jans and David Eisman would be launching their own news subscription platform named Sire. The service is officially off the ground or of sorts. It's not um, printing news as of yet, but this comes after the pair last month received funding from private equity firm Shearwater Capital with the project positioned to be diversifying the Australian news media landscape. Damo, for those who don't know, I mentioned a little bit there about Jans and Eisman, but what, what are their credentials and, and why is this startup being taken more seriously than another potentially might be? Yeah, look, there's a lot of aspects to that, Cal. Uh, let's start with Chris Jans himself, who was the former Chief Digital and Publishing Officer at Nine, also formerly the CEO of HuffPost Australia. Uh, held previous roles, including the MD of Australian Metro Publishing at Fairfax, uh, former CEO and managing director of Allure Media as well. Allure Media is the one that uh, introduced Gizmodo, Lifehacker, Pop Sugar, all those sorts of brands uh, to Australia. So he's got a really, really deep background in publishing, particularly digital publishing, and uh, has launched brands into market, has had those brands acquired in market. And let's not forget that he was one of the final runners, uh, allegedly, who was in the hunt for the CEO role at Nine as well. So hugely regarded uh, within the industry, a, a lot of deep background there across a number of areas of publishing. And he's running this business with Dave Eisman, as you said, who was formerly director of subscription and growth at Nine, uh, also held roles like Chief of Staff at Australian Metro Publishing at Fairfax. So both of them together have a very significant background. So I guess that's that's one point where why you take this a bit more seriously perhaps than maybe you would others, but also consider that Jans and Eisman have been uh, working together already. They've helped the, the New Zealand publishing sector to do deals with uh, Google and Meta, uh, as well as the ACCC on the implementation of the framework around the media bargaining code. So a lot of interesting uh, aspects there. Let's not also then forget that Shearwater Capital, for those of you who don't know, uh, one of the managing uh, partners there happens to be Zach Zavos, uh, who founded uh, Conversant Media. Uh, most of us will probably know The Raw, for example, as a, a Conversant uh, publication. So deep history there from all three of them in the publishing sector uh, and Shearwater Capital as well has made a, a few investments in the marketing and media space. So there's a, yeah, th there's a lot of history there. You would argue that uh, all three of them know what they're doing in publishing, but I would also suggest that that's certainly not a golden key to a, a successful business, particularly when it comes to launching new brands in Australian media. Yeah, I think one of the, the, the more, I guess, fascinating aspects is, you know, you mentioned there um, in particular Chris's experience at Nine and he was in the running for the, the, the Nine CEO role, which makes, I guess, the language that was 
on Sire's homepage or the, well, I guess the landing page a little bit more interesting, which I'll read you a couple of lines here. It reads, it's no secret Australia has one of the most concentrated media industries in the developed world. In other English-speaking markets, new journalism outlets underpinned by innovative business models have emerged, bringing audiences additional choice. But in Australia, the information landscape is still dominated by a handful of legacy corporations founded many decades ago. There are reasons to be alarmed about this situation, particularly when trust in the news media is declining and the integrity of the information we consume is under threat. We believe Australia deserves better. So, Liv, what what do you make of... uh, Sire's assessment of the Australian media landscape, which he or which they call an oligopoly, I should say, it's I guess a little bit ironic when you when you look into some of that history, there, isn't it? It is, especially given Jans's role at the Senate hearings about diversity in Australian media not two years ago. I find it very ironic, but you know the fact that there was a, a Senate um, hearing about it, and it, that was brought about from the um, previous Prime Minister Kevin Rudd. And looking at Australian media, yeah, I I think most people would agree that it is quite consolidated. There are a couple of big organisations which have brought about uh, through consolidation having most of Australians uh, in in their, you know, in their um, sites. They have, you know, whether it's between Seven West Media, whether it's Nine Entertainment Co, whether it's News Corp, you know, they have the bulk of Australians. Um, And then there's obviously the the ABC and SBS on the side, which uh, have government funding to help combat that. But otherwise, in the commercial landscape, it is extremely consolidated. And then uh, I guess it'll be it'll be interesting to see first of all what kind of product um, we do see comes from that, um, and then I guess how successful that funding model, which they are advertising for um, partner partners at this initial stage. So a lot to be uh, a lot to be weighted upon there. But Liv, you mentioned a couple of those companies there. One of those being News Corp. And you headed down to uh, News Corp's annual or now annual decoded event on Monday, which was in Sydney. Um, can you run us through a few of the new products they're offering to advertisers or maybe any themes that um, News Corp really seemed to be looking at as, as being front of mind this year? In short, they want our money. Um, what a shock. What? <laughs> in it's, uh, yes, uh, or another way of looking at it is that they have Australians hook, line and sinker. Um, as I wrote about earlier in the year in a, a weekend mumbo, media are no longer content to be the billboard, as um, Lou Barrett from News Corp puts it. They now want to be the shop front and it is an extremely intricate shop front. Um, decoded uh, event on Monday highlighted some of the new uh, offerings that News Corp have for advertisers and, and partners, as they like to call it. Um, it's they're, they're creating basically the ability for someone to be looking at content on one of their platforms and instantly shop it without leaving the ecosystem, but still passing on all the information about that consumer onto the uh, end uh, supplier. So um, it is a, a very interesting and, and new world that we are going into um, where once upon a time media was, yeah, you know, the messenger essentially. It is now definitely more than that. Um, obviously with that comes a huge amount of uh, privacy and, and data considerations, which News Corp has gone about building a lot of partnerships with some very well-known uh, players in the market to, to combat that. And they said that as well, their, their own first party 
um, data journey has has really taken a step up in recent years. So um, lots going on there. And, and obviously, they're not the only media company doing that. Nine's done it, Seven's done it, Ten's done it. All have done it differently, um, which is quite interesting that there doesn't seem to be much overlap in terms of how they approach um, creating that frictionless, uh, which is the, the new in word at the moment, um, <laughs> frictionless. <pivoted> to frictionless. <laughs> frictionless experience for consumers to be able to go from, you know, seeing a top on a presenter to being able to buy it within the same, you know, within the same platform. Yeah. So yeah, lots happening there. And yeah, as, uh, as I said, they, they just, it's just getting easier and easier to, to hand over money to, <laughs> uh, for consumers and, and, uh, anyone who consumes media, whether that be news or, or other. Nice to uh, nice to have that outside of the regular upfront season. Um, it makes it a little bit, a little bit less, uh, well, a little bit less frictionless, I should say, when when covering. <laughs> Coming up after the break, two arrivals from Saatchi and Saatchi seeing new partnership structure at independent agency Bullfrog. Saatchi and Saatchi's head of creativity, Simon Bagnasco, and Melbourne Chief Strategy Officer Alex Speakman this week defected from the agency to take up stakes at independent creative house Bullfrog. The former Saatchi execs will become partners in the indie agency, completing a new ownership structure alongside managing director Matilda Hobber and CEO and founder Dalton Henshaw. Damo, let's start with you once again. Another two leave the doors of a more historical or traditional ad agency um, in those holding groups to take what, what some would often refer to as skin in the game at an indie agency. This comes, of course, just weeks after we spoke about an ushering in of a new era at Publicis's creative department with the arrival of Chief Creative Officer Dave Bowman. Where do you see the balance now lying in Australia's creative industries or maybe even wider Australia's industries? Is the power still with the old shops or is it increasingly moving towards the indies? It's with neither of them. Power is still with the marketer. Like no one, you know, I don't think any marketer would actually turn around and go, I've specifically chosen a creative agency because they're independent or because they're part of a, a large network. That might be a small part of it maybe but it's certainly not going to be the the major one uh the market is still definitely hold the power and it's a really interesting environment at the moment we always talk a lot about uh spending while the environment is tough getting your brand out there in a down market that's it's kind of essentially where we're at at the moment even though there are some indicators suggesting that maybe we're not as down as we think or the economy is not as down as we think uh, but we are still in a challenging market, and this is where you would like to see, uh, according to the textbook anyway, a lot of significant creative plays. Uh, so creatives now have a, a challenge in front of them to work with the, the marketers, work with the, the clients who are willing to, to step out in front. But I think what's sort of more important in this whole story is is that Bullfrog has managed to nab uh, a few well-known creatives and we've seen previously where that helps business because in that creative industry a lot has to do with the names there's there's a certain i guess um celebrity around creative directors ecds creative partnerships you mentioned it before with dave bowman you know the dave bowman maddie burton show when special became 
uh, an agency within the Australian market. Um, we've seen it before with other agencies. Having a good creative lead or duo can make a massive difference in market more than whether it's indie or, or network. So uh, that's my two cents anyway. It's going to be a fascinating uh, sort of year to see whether they can use that now to, to leverage the agency. I, I mean, and I guess that helps, you know, when you have these names breaking out, it's not quite the same, um, you know, if we, we were to look at media agencies or maybe startups, uh, sorry, um, MarTech startups or um, something along along those lines. But you kind of get the impression that when these names break out, it's quite easy to pick up a couple of accounts almost immediately because you have that sort of relationship. You know, we, we saw um, It's Friday when they launched last year, immediately came with um, Domino's, the same with Howitzen and Company uh, a few years ago. Liv, you, you um, wrote actually a, a pretty timely piece at the weekend, for the weekend mumbo, I should say, and you, you spoke about what makes a great agency. You, you referenced six agencies there, two of those um, were indies, those being Thinkerbell and Houghton and Company. The Monkeys was also an agency startup purchased by Accenture a few years ago. BMF is locally owned, while the two sort of more historical names there, DDB and Ogilvy, were the, the sort of only remaining ones from the, that kind of older golden age, or you, you could almost put it, um, of advertising. Um, is this a trend? Are we seeing, you know, uh, I guess a, a, a golden era for uh, Australian agencies, is that what you think is making what you would call a great agency these days? Or maybe it might be more helpful for you to just kind of um, riff off uh, that piece that you wrote at the weekend. <laughs> I I think, it, again, back to Damien's point about it being in the hands of the marketer, it just shows that good talent can sit in both. And and this is what I actually see as the main point of, of what's happening at the moment in market. It's the talent piece. And it, it comes back to that talent and where they want to be at that point in time. You know, for some creatives, you know, going into a, a smaller agency where they've got more say, more skin in the game is, is what they want to do at that point in their career. And then in other points of the career, they might want to be in the, the bigger, more traditional agencies where they've got a global network and there's perhaps more room for opportunity to grow and develop. As uh, someone said to me recently, they said, um, I've been the big fish in a small pond and now I want to be the small fish in a big pond. And it's, it really comes down to that. And, and I think we're seeing in that list and what I really found amusing about that list of the various agencies that were named, you know, the, the agency of the year across those different awards is that it is a mix. And that, again, it comes back to the talent. And I think the marketers follow the talent, the brands follow the talent. So it really just comes back to, to where they want to be at that point in time. And DDC, we saw a little fist bump from you there when Damien said the power was with the marketer. Um, <laughs> let's get let's get your thoughts on that. <laughs> Still getting used to the umbrella cast. Damn. Um, look, I think I think there is a lot of power in the marketer, um, and there will always be simply because they are a huge part of the decision making process. Um, so much of that, you know, really decides. Um, where that you know where that business is going to spend their money, and guess who's got the money? The client. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm not I'm not surprised. Um, but I sort of thought that we were over this little. They, they felt I felt like there was a little um, period of consolidation when it came to indies for a while there, and I feel like we're actually breaking back out now. Um, so I think I think that the tide has turned, so to speak, and 
we'll we'll see another wave of uh, of indies popping up. And then another wave of acquisitions in Correct. 24 months time. Ripe for acquisition then. So maybe it is just cyclical. I mean, you know, we, we, we mentioned some of those agencies there like the monkeys. They were, they were, you know, an agency startup and then eventually purchased and then, you know, it'll keep on going. <laughs> Coming up after the break, a snapshot of the 2023 Adobe Summit in Las Vegas. <laughs> All right, as we said before, Cal is in Vegas enjoying the sights and sounds as well as the Adobe Summit. Uh, today has been the first proper day. Cal, grabbing the headlines at the summit, mate, what's going on there? Yeah, well, I think the the most entertaining part of the day, um, I, th- I think you'd probably get the same answer from most um, attendees of this morning's keynote was when um, some some protesters actually jumped on stage during the um, discussion between Adobe's CEO Shanatu Narayan and um, the, the 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 head of um, pharma company CEO of pharma company Eli Lilly. Um, understood that the two protesters actually purchased fifteen hundred US dollar tickets to jump on stage, and the um, the pair it was a little bit it was a little bit dicey for a second, and but security were uh, pretty slow to jump in. But in terms of the actual content, uh, it seems like the focus this year is AI, as you as you might expect. Um, we'll hear a little bit in a second about what's actually happening there. But Adobe's been in the space for a little while, but they've launched a new tool, Firefly, um, and, and the, the, we'll we'll hear in a second how they're going to incorporate that into its stack. But it's largely about content. Uh, creation there the actual keynote lineup this morning was um predominantly male which has been you know a bit of a talking point amongst people i've spoken to and that was up until adobe analytics project manager jen lasser took stage um to for the first project demo and then later we had the cmo of prudential finance susan Summersill, who joined for a discussion which sort of um felt like it went a little bit off topic, um, similarly to the chief digital officer at um, T-Mobile. But um, in terms of the new generative AI products, um, CEO Narayan was saying that um, it'll accentuate human ingenuity as the co-pilot rather than replace it, which I thought was a a, a pretty um, strong quote there. While I didn't get too much time to see any of the other um, sessions, I will, will will have more of an update for you tomorrow in terms of what's um, what is hitting the headlines across the festival. One one that I did get to this afternoon was PwC's Trust in Marketing session, which um, I guess based on what's happening in our market at the moment, I was hoping would maybe go in a different direction, but um, was a little bit disappointed with that. Um, in terms of that term, co-pilot, uh, which I, I, I said just there, we've heard that used a lot today and you'll hear more about that now um, in this conversation with Jeremy Wood, the head of APAC product marketing at Adobe. Jeremy, thanks for joining me and hope you've uh, enjoyed this morning's keynote sessions. Yeah, thanks for having me. No, it's been fantastic. It's great to be back in person at Summit. So this morning to 10,000, uh, I guess, Adobe employees, clients, journalists alike um the focus I, I think from the onlookers was clearly on ai and how that's going to transform um uh, the products in the adobe stack that you're offering clients moving forward um can you 
give us a quick overview of Firefly, which was the main product that was spoken about, Adobe's new generative AI tool. Um, it's launched today in its beta form and, uh, as Adobe said, part of a new family of AI modeling. Yeah, thank you. No, so very exciting. Obviously, as you said, sort of very marquee announcement for us. Um, I think the simplest way to think about Firefly is um, is that it is a tool that really helps creatives from an image standpoint. So it's very much focused for now uh, on image uh, creation. So um, think about just being able to you know we know that we're dealing with so many demands right now on content creation, and so generative AI is really designed to sort of help. You heard the term co-pilot a lot, which I really love. Yeah. Um, because it's really helped, it's there to help marketers and creative scale. Um, so imagine taking sort of, you know, you have to recreate, you know, a, a significant number of images. Um, you know, you have an artificial intelligence engine now to help you do that with a significant, you know, amount of, um, uh, you know, well, intelligence is the right way to put it because it really is, that's how it's tooled. Um, so we're really, really excited. I mean, I think it's just the very, very beginning of this. But obviously, we've been involved in artificial intelligence for many, many years. So this is just uh, yeah. the next thing for us, which is great. And the, the, there was a big focus on, I guess, the safe commercial use was, was what the, yeah. the term and the, those um, those ethical pillars that it was built around. Part of that is, you know, taking from Adobe's existing database and its um, stock images, as well as open copyright and expired copyright um, usage of images. Can you talk a little bit about, I guess, those ethical pillars as well and how that's kind of built into that? Yeah, and it's very much by design, right? So this is this is a principle that's very, you know, very strong tenant for us. Um, as you, exactly as you said, the Firefly engine was modeled and built on Adobe Stock, so obviously just such a huge... Um, repository of, of imagery that we're able to be basically lean on. Uh, underpinning that, what we're able to also do, to your point, was also be able to put in things where um, there's commercial rights sort of embedded or not embedded. We're able to give authoring, you know, sort of um, uh, recommendations, sort of, or sorry, I should say um, authoring um, validation back to sort of any creators as well. And then a lot of intelligence already built into the tool to allow it to prevent malicious use, things like that, sort of from a recreation standpoint. So multi-layer sort of safety um, and built into it. But yeah, just it's great that it's been able to basically use the existing Adobe stock repository to actually be able to build up its intelligence off of. So, And I guess, you know, one of the things that's been very clearly stated is you know this isn't just something that's been whipped up by Adobe because AI is the new hot thing you've been using AI for years now we talk about this sort of um, new family of AI modeling how do you think that's going to transform I guess the the products for your clients going forward yeah and this and this is really the super exciting part right because as you said um, people would be familiar with Adobe Sensei um, that artificial intelligence, machine learning engine of ours has been around for, I think, about a decade now. Um, the exciting part is that um, this is going to sort of work its way across our entire marketing toolkit. So everything from, you know, being able to add scale, we just talked about Firefly and image recreation, but think about that also moving across to text, general content creation, um, intelligence around performance management, uh, journey optimization. So really the end-to-end -end of, of the customer and the creation 
of, of journeys for our customers. Um, you'll have it everything from um, authoring all the way to analysis. And so you've got this, again, I'll use it again, this co-pilot to actually be able to sort of help with that load and to be able to sort of minimize um, some of that very sort of time, you know, sort of time heavy yeah. uh, aspects of everyone's role, uh, not just creatives, uh, but marketers in general, um, and to be able to actually then sort of be able to focus your time on um, sort of more premium sort of uh, things for, for, for all of us. So yeah, that's great. And then um, just finally, Jeremy, we mentioned before we started recording three highlights. Can you briefly just run us through what you think were the three highlights for you from today's announcements? Yeah, so I, I mean, again, I won't cover the Gen AI stuff, yeah. but without question, right, yeah. that's at the forefront. I think, as I mentioned, we, we talked a little, but we're just skimming the surface of, you know, the way it's, it's infusing itself across our experience cloud offerings. And it's just the beginning, really, of this next wave. So I think we're gonna see a lot of incredible goodness from that, um, that our customers and end users are definitely gonna benefit from. The second one I was particularly excited about was the announcement around product analytics. Um, this is, this is uh, an area that um, nobody else has ventured into in terms of being able to have marketing and or web analytics and product analytics under one umbrella. Um, this has been long requested, and I, I am super excited that, that we're getting into this space because you heard this morning, um, you know, product experience is a, a key tenant of an overall customer experience. So being able to have those insights um, is going to be huge. Um, I think the, the, the third one for me is probably around um, what we call this content supply chain theme, right? So this is, as you might recall, this is being able to do the end-to-end -end from content creation through to analysis. And so we're bringing together, we're breaking silos by virtue of creative tools, workflow tools, and content management tools, and really sort of bringing that all together. This is something we hear day in, day out as a constant frustration of customers, is that they work in silos, content creation is too hard. So you heard a little bit about democratizing content creation, right? So I can author websites and Word, like that's amazing. So that goes from two people in a company being able to author content to everybody, mm -hmm. right? So that's incredible in terms of if you think about scale and efficiency. So I think, you know, being able to knock down those silos, bring in that artificial intelligence, being able to have things like product insights and analytics, those are three areas that I think are game changers for marketing. Jeremy, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much. Next, I was joined by Carmen Michael, Head of Marketing and Campaigns at the University of New South Wales. Carmen, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Colin. So we saw a couple of um, pretty big product launches this morning. Was there anyone in particular that ex excites you most as a customer? Yeah, look, we're pretty interested in the, well, conceptually content velocity. So we went through our uh, transformation about four years ago. We got into a unified platform. So now for us, it's all about personalization at scale and also getting that pipeline of, of content happening as the University of New South Wales. We obviously have some of the most incredible and awarded content producers on the planet. And so we're really keen to unlock that value uh, with personalization at scale. So tell us a bit about that journey which you mentioned there um, to becoming, I guess, uh, t taking a digital first approach to marketing um, and I guess how that translates into things like targeting potential students. 
Yeah, so I think the first step uh, for the University of New South Wales was to consolidate a large number of websites and presences onto one unified platform. That That's really been the focus um, over the last, I guess, five years, starting about five years ago. In the last year or so, we set up a uh, centre of excellence for data insights um, so we could start to unlock the value of some of that data that we start to see forward. And then I guess the second the third, or the second piece of the puzzle is personalisation. So delivering these personalised experiences to our students. And we know that they're starting their consideration journey really way back in the piece. We start to really properly engage with them at about year nine. And we know that your average year nine to year 10, you can see how they're engaging across their content platforms, um, whether it's social or website or you know in, inside their schools. So we're really utilising that um, technology to deliver those experiences at scale and in a personalised way. Um, we also know that you know students engage in lots of different. Um, uh, they're not just engaged by maybe you know the typical sort of degree program, but they're engaged yeah. by conceptual ideas, field of interest. So they might be really interested in climate change, for example, rather than you know a specific degree. And it's about capturing that interest, getting them excited and inspired, and connected to our mission as a university, which is to further research um, around the world. Yeah, I guess with that and with the kind of target audience that you are delivering personalised uh, solutions to. Would, how would you say that kind of differs to maybe another brand because you are obviously taking an approach where you're targeting, as you say, children from year nine onwards? Yeah, well, it is it is absolutely digital first because that's the only way they engage. Um, they're also um, really ruthless with their content consumption, as we know. The um, thumb-stopping content is what we want to be creating on our channels, um, wherever that might be, and really content that speaks to them and recognises them for who they are and gives them what they need. Um, and that's a really key way. And also keeping them connected as well over the, over the journey through year 9 to year 10, year 11, 12 and then beyond. Our, um, obviously a major pillar for us is uh, lifelong learning and uh, how do we keep them connected after they've graduated and, and keeping them connected to the, to the pursuits of education. And then just finally, one of the, um, the the product demos that we saw today was, um, I guess, the analytics side of the experience manager. How, how, is there, I guess, anything from that that you're looking forward to implementing into your marketing strategy? We've already got Adobe Analytics, so we're there. And our, really the value that we're trying to unlock now is connecting it with our data platform so that we can start to see the insights by segment and actually serve them up different pieces of content. So it's a combination of that and creating like an award-winning content platform, which is what um, we're we want to be as well yeah thanks a lot for joining me no thanks for having me and finally i spoke with michael mclaren former global ceo at merkel for b2b as well as holding senior roles at mccann and ogilvy and mother amongst others and now is president of digital transformation firm bounteous michael thanks for joining us and uh i I guess starting off it would be great just to get a few words on what the company does i guess why you're here as a premier partner of adobe yeah, hi, thanks. It's great to see you. Uh, so Bounteous is a digital transformation agency. Uh, you know, we create uh, digital experiences that allow businesses to get closer to their customers. Um, we combine a, a set of te- capabilities that are, you know, we have the ability to tech, integrate technology, so build marketing technology and leverage the capabilities of all the various marketing technology platforms. We have a strategic capability, so we drive strategic insights, much as a consulting company. And then we also have a marketing activation capability, so like a classic agency. So if you think about the ecosystem, we live in that intersection of the systems integrators, the consultants, and the agency 
worlds. And I, I guess we had this morning's keynotes, a couple of pretty big announcements. There was, um, as I think will probably be, the focus was on their Gen AI products. Um, wh what did you make of those, I, I guess, and what are your thoughts on how it's going to help deliver the product that you deliver to your clients? I mean, I think everybody who's working in technology, marketing technology today needs to have a strategy around um, a generative AI. I think it's a, it's a trend that is going to be pervasive. I mean, let's not forget, Adobe's been at this for a while. You know, they launched a Sensei product about five years ago. So this is now fifth generation kind of tech. And, you know, clearly Microsoft with, you know, the acquisition of um, GPT has really sort of set the pace. So I think that we're going to see machine learning becoming more and more mainstream. It's already happening. I mean, you know, the algorithm and the computing capability allows you to sort of work through massive data sets and extract insights and extract, um, you know, sort of patterns that are going to lead to better decision making. So it's just the wave of the future. I mean, and I think that we all need to work out how to apply that technology in an intelligent way in the solutions we create. It's just um, prior to this in a, in a, a session on, from PwC on trust in marketing. Okay. Um, it, it, what's the sort of process of, I guess, bringing in these new products and then applying it in a way that, I guess, delivers that sort of trust that you've already established with those clients that you work with? That's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, if you think about the entire digital ecosystem, I mean, let's start on the far right-hand side, the kind of digital media world and the fraud that's, you know, sort of the bot fraud and that, that exists out there and how the industry has tried to create greater transparency and, you know, using blockchain and some other technologies to ensure that clients are getting what they pay for, basically. And then you move all the way over to personalization and how we can drive personalization from a high match identity resolution that's independent of cookies and how we're trying to build kind of ethical guidelines around how do you leverage those sorts of personalization technologies. I think that everybody who's working in this world is, is, is really trying to be conscious about trust and about you know, respect of people's information and details. I think the, the sort of ruling thumb is just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. You know, I think that the truth is that we live in an opt-in world. We have to respect the choice of the customer um, and that we have an obligation to create value for that customer. So if there's value that they see and perceive, then they're more willing to give you their information in order to sort of get what they're looking for. And I think that as a marketer, in this day and age, you have to think of your job as creating that value exchange. You know, it's no longer just, I need to persuade you, I need yeah. to tell you something. It's like, I need to create value for my customer. Yeah, really interesting perspective. And I think someone, I think it might have been um, Susan Somersill, the, the, the final uh, keynote this morning, said something similar. She said, as long as you're showing and providing growth and value for your customers, they'll be willing to you know, be a bit more flexible and work with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the beauty of technology is that you can do things that you, you, you were never able to do before, you know, and you can delegate tasks to software that, that would have been burdensome and, and create inconvenience. And a great example, even though it's kind of fairly low level, but as an example, is, is a calendaring capability when someone reaches out and says, hey, I'd love to have a chat with you. 
or if you want to go and make an appointment at a, at a medical professional, being able to do that online and have that transparency and just get it done in one go so that I don't have to do 22 phone calls with assistants and desks and you can plug in your insurance information and you can, you can make it a more kind of convenient exchange. You know, so technology allows you to think about ways, how do I create something that's more convenient? How do I create something that's less burdensome? How do I create something that's faster? I mean, and so a lot of the things we talk about in value exchange, they come down to really fundamental little things like that. Like, can I grease the skids? Can I create less friction? Can I put you in a place where you want? Can I recognize you when you come to my website? Do it, can, I, can I bring in the intelligence that I have from my past dealings with you so that you only get future dealings that are relevant to you? Like, these are all tasks that are good organization should take on themselves and understand how do you use technology to help you solve those questions so that the user experience is, is, is richer. You know, it's faster, it's more convenient, it's more relevant, it's more valuable. And if you can create that, then you've got a customer who wants to come back and do business with you. Michael, thanks for joining me. Absolutely, it's great to join you. Well, that is all we have time for today. Thanks for listening to the Mumbrella Cast. Throw us a follow or subscribe if you're enjoying it. And for more podcast content, we'll be back on the Evening Mumbo feed tomorrow. Thanks again to Jeremy, Carmen, and Michael for joining us. Damo, Diana, thank you very much. And uh, last but not least, Liv, thanks to you too. It's been fantastic having you on the team, and I'm sure we'll be staying close. Thank you, Carl. Yes, I'm saying goodbye but I'm not completely leaving I'm, I'll still be in the industry and who knows I might be back on the umbrella car someday I will I'll live by then <laughs> travelled to the Adobe Summit in Las Vegas as a guest of Adobe